Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support. And I hope you enjoy our interviews. For this week's episode, we talked to Rishikesh Hirway. You might know him from his wonderful music or his fantastic array of podcasts. My personal favorite is Song Exploder. I hope that you enjoy our interview. Welcome to Why Not Both, where we're well acquainted with the creepy Zoom robot voice now. Yeah. It's cool. It's fine. I do like, I saw that you had like a, a Rode pop filter and I was curious about what microphone you had. Oh yeah, it's a, it is a Rode NT1. <sighs> So good. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> this fills my heart with joy. And when, when you said uh, prior to recording that you were like, oh, yeah, I do a stream, I was just like, what, what is that experience like? Like, because your podcast started, I think, in like, 2014, and it seems like everything has kind of like caught Amari snowballed since then. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> can you speak to what that experience has been like, especially like in the past year or so, because everything's changed so much? Um, to, to which part? Uh, specifically um i guess like you were talking about that you stream on your patreon and stuff like that like when did that oh. start and i guess like what what's that all like yeah so in so i started a podcast in 2016 called the west wing weekly mm -hmm. that was a show that was like an episode by episode discussion of the tv show the west wing that i hosted with my friend josh molina who was an actor who was on the show um and we went through all 100 54 episodes of the series and uh that ended january of 2020 um it oh. we had a finale in la at the at the ace theater and um and it was great and the timing was amazing because at that time you know it was right right before the pandemic hit and uh and then the project ended and we didn't really know if we were going to do anything else um at that point but then um time kind of past and a few months ago my my co-host josh has been saying to me you know let's do something else like maybe we should start another project maybe it's another podcast what are we going to do and um and i wasn't really sure and i wasn't really uh eager to take on another podcast project because i had started other things in the wake of the western weekly um ending mm -hmm. uh, so i kind of have, have always had two to three to four different sort of pod podcast projects going um, since then. And so the idea of taking on something else was was too daunting for me. But then um, I suggested this idea of us doing a, a sort of um, director's commentary style live watch of another show by Aaron Sorkin, who had made West Wing, that Josh Molina had also starred in, uh, like The West Wing, which is a show called Sports Night. Um, it's a 30 minute, it's a 30 minute comedy that only lasted two seasons, uh, and doesn't have sort of the same kind of 
um, depth of issues. And um, there wasn't as much to talk about in that show as there is in the West Wing. Because in the West Wing, we talked to not just the people who made the show, but we talked to people in government who worked on the issues that the um, different episodes of the show kind of dealt with. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was pretty broad ranging, but this is, this is just like, it's a pretty fun, like nice comedy, um, dramedy or something. And so I said, well, maybe we could just watch it and talk about it and, um, and not put it out there as, as basically, can we do something together that isn't as much work as putting together, putting out a weekly hour long research-based podcast? Yes. Um, yeah. And so this, this Patreon project uh, that's called Unnecessary Commentary is what came out of that. That's phenomenal. <laughs> and when you said like putting out an hour long researched podcast, I feel that people who uh, people who create podcasts and people who create things like that understand how much work goes into it. But I'm not sure that like the average listener might. And it's not that they want to discredit you. It's just like, if you haven't done it, you don't know how much work goes into it. And when you said that you had multiple of those, I'm like, are you okay? Do you ever sleep? (laughs) Like, (laughs) blink twice if you need help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been been pretty busy for the last, last five to seven years. Yeah. How did you feel about balancing that kind of creative output with you just put out your own music and you're touring with another person that we had had on the, on the pod, Jenny Owens Young. I, I, did I just say her name in the right order? Uh, Jenny Owen Youngs. You Thank you. In the other place. I, I was just like, something went wrong in <laughs> the translation <laughs> from my brain to then speaking. And I was like, <laughs> But yeah, I was I was talking with her about um, the different forms of creativity that it takes to, you know, like make a pod and then also then working on songs and that it's this interesting like gear shift. Um, I guess what was your experience with that? Because you did just put out, you know, you've got music out. Yeah. Um, for me, the only way that I was able to make room for music again after being away from it for a while was to was to put physical you know, blocks up in my life, um, so that I could. So I, I made a decision, um, that I, I needed to make music again and I needed to kind of schedule it. And, uh, and as unintuitive as that felt, um, I knew that if I didn't do that, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make music. So I, um, so in 2020, um, that was when that was kind of when I saw a little crack of daylight because the West Wing podcast had ended, and also the um, last of the Netflix version of Song Exploder had come out. Mm-hmm. So those were two huge projects that had been on my plate that um, that I could cross off the list. So at that point, I said, "Okay, I'm going to try and start uh, dedicating just Fridays out of the week to to making music." I'll you know, and I didn't really have less work, but I just decided to squeeze all of my work into the other remaining six days and leave at least one day um, free for for working on music. So that was the only way that I was able to able to get there. Um, and 
it was hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The way that you speak of it reminds me of um, in my, I was like, in my life when I am not doing music or podcasting, I run a therapy business and I do see clients and whatnot. Um, and it's interesting talking to clients about scheduling intimacy because yeah. they think that like you're scheduling, like it's like, and now the sex at 4 p.m. And you're like, no, 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 no. It's like, <laughs> it's the same thing as scheduling time with music where it's like, you're scheduling time to make room for that. And it's because so much of the rest of what goes on in our life is like, there's certain necessities, but there's also things that are very compelling. But it's like, if you actually schedule time for that, that allows it to actually emerge in your life. Whereas if yeah. you don't make room for it, even if you like that thing, or you know that thing's important, sometimes it gets smushed out of the way. And yeah. so what what was that like to get reacquainted with music? Like when you're like, haha, today is music day. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think... Um... I felt the same exact way as what you described is I just needed to create the opportunity for potential. And, um, and I had been too acquainted with a life where I didn't have that potential. You know, I thought maybe, maybe a song would come to me again. Maybe it, I, I don't know. Um, but it felt like a muscle that had atrophied and I wasn't sure if it is, if it was gone forever. Mm. Um, and, what happened was that Jenny um, approached me about co-writing a song with her. And that was actually the perfect way to get back into things and, and to try and refamiliarize myself with the process because um, in some ways it reduced some of the pressure for me because it wasn't my song. And, um, and I had faith that she would kind of see it through even if I was only able to add a little bit or, or not at all or something like that. Um, mm. but I said yes, because it felt like very safe circumstances to try, try my hand. Um, and, and it was really nice. And, and that's, uh, that experience is what gave me, um, I think a sense that like, no, it, it, that muscle isn't gone completely. It's just, um, been out of use. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it can feel really scary when you're hopping back in. Like, I feel very fortunate that like, I was like, my piano is behind me. So you can see I play the piano. <laughs> um, but there, even if like, you know, a few days go by that I don't have time to really seriously sit down and play, I sometimes like psych myself out or I'm just like, what if I sit down at the piano and I don't know how to play anything? And it's like, Pam, you've been playing since you were five years old. Like, I don't think you're going to suddenly forget how to play the piano. Um but having that experience of like having a safe place to go back to it, because when, when you haven't done that for a while, you're like, can I do this thing? It's a weird vulnerability thing. Yeah. I, I think what made it complicated for me was that I was um, making Song Exploder, which is a show that was born out of my experience as a musician and, um, and is entirely made from the fabric of what I've learned by being a musician. Um, you know, it is a very musical show, like the the edits and the mixing and all that stuff. It is, it, it is, uh, I'm engaging with my music skills all the time making that show. Um, and I, and the way I interview other artists about their work comes from a sense of empathy um, born out of my own experiences. But, you know, it's really more theoretical. Like, like my existence as a musician in some ways feels more theoretical or, or at least publicly it feels more the theoretical, 
because it's like, oh, I'm a musician who makes this music podcast. And it's like, well, I've made I've made music in the in in the years that I've been making Song Exploder, but it's been music f- essentially for hire. You know, I I scored mm-hmm. I scored um a TV show. I've I've made, you know, theme songs for 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 things. Uh I did the music for a video game. I've done music projects, but it's not the same as it's not quite the same as being an artist in the way mm-hmm. that I was used to where I was touring and playing shows and you know, making something that was wholly my own. Right. Um, I wasn't existing as an artist the same way that the people who I was talking to on the show uh, exist as a, as artists. And sometimes people would say, Oh, I didn't realize you made music. And that was uh, kind of devastating. Wow. That what you're expressing resonates so much with me in that like uh, the pod over the last at least year really took over so much of my creative landscape that I had that experience too, where people would say, oh, wow, I didn't know that that you made music too. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that you spoke of like the identity of the artist, like you can make music for yourself. And I did similar things to you where I was scoring friends, video art and things like that. But it's very different when you have that piece of your identity as a public artist, as your own kind of entity. Yeah. Then when someone says, oh, I didn't know you made music in a way, what they mean is I didn't know that you were an artist in the same way I was. But at least when I hear that, I'm just like, oh, like, is that piece of my identity gone? Or like, is it not legible to people? Or like, ah, the, the, the spiral. Um, (laughs) the spiral begins Um, (laughs) and yeah like hearing about that it does sound like you know those other parts of your identity kind of were in the forefront for a while but it didn't mean that you weren't a musician it just meant that you weren't a musician in the way that sometimes it sounds like other people might conceptualize a musician that we perceive them as like the kind of artist you're talking about yeah including me yeah yeah it's funny that you bring that up in light of, I just realized I was like, you produce uh, Shirley Manson's podcast, right? Or I, um, I created it basically. I helped create yeah. it. Um, and, uh, and so I'm the executive producer. There are other people who actually do the heavy lifting of production on it though. Got it. Cause I, <laughs> I spoke to her last summer when I was displaced from my home due to ceiling construction. So I was in a blanket fort that my friends made for me. So I would have good sound at their house. It was very cute. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like talking to Shirley Manson from Blanket Fort. That is on my agenda today. Um, like, what a life. Um, but she was mentioning about that she didn't realize in, in her constellation of her identity that she could be a podcast host or that she could explore things like this. And it's fascinating to me that like you felt almost this devastation of like, oh, am I an artist in this way? Where she expressed almost the opposite, where she was perceived solely as an artist, that then kind of your idea that empowered her to perceive herself in a different way. Yeah. And I was like, well, how do you be her? <laughs> Sometimes you just need another person to uh, show you the way they see you for you to see yourself that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's really powerful what you did. Um, I was just like, thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) It was really, it was a no brainer for me because I I did, I did feel like she would be a natural at it. And I think she is. Oh yeah. She and I were talking about how, like when you, when you interview someone, it's like you have, as she put it, she's like, I feel like I fall in love with every podcast guest. 
where like you learn something new each time and you just become like so enchanted by being in that person's world that it's like because it's rare actually that we get to even have conversations like this like I feel very fortunate that in some ways I do because of my other job right but it's it's rare that you get to actually just be like hey I'm going to sit down for an hour and just really focus in on talking to this person yeah um and so she was just like, yeah, my husband thinks I'm going to run off with like every podcast guest. And I am. <laughs> I was like, that's too funny. <laughs> what did you find? I'm curious what you found coming back to writing, like, you know, with Jenny, like, did you find that you crafted things differently after talking to everybody that you did on Song Exploder? Like, how did, how did those two kind of like intertwine? I think the biggest thing is that what I realized I was most compelled by and Song Exploder was the songs and that contained stories where people really wove their own identity in, in a really profound way. The things that I'm always looking for in those episodes is um, for someone to reveal some part of who they are. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even if it only comes through in this little bit, through this tiny little peephole of this song, um, I want to feel like I get to know some true part of who they are. And, um, and so I, I'm constantly asking, you know, people ask me like, how do you choose which songs are going to be on the podcast? And, uh, and the answer is that I'm always looking for a song that has a lot of personal significance to the Mm. artist. And, um, so I ask about that and I say, what, what, what's the song that, what's a song on this album that means a lot to you? And it might not be the biggest hit, um, or the lead single or whatever, but sometimes it is, but, uh, but while that might be the priority of the label or the publicist, for me, it's about finding um, this chance to get to know some the way someone thinks and and something about their life uh, that gets expressed in a song. So when it came time to making songs in this kind of era of my life, I wanted to make songs that reflected myself in that way. Mm. Um, whereas I think earlier in my life, I was more okay, or rather even more excited about the idea of like some kind of, you know, poetic allegory or metaphor or something like that. Something that I could talk about that was like some, my own life felt too small Hmm. to write, to write songs about, you know? Um, And uh, the idea of connecting to bigger ideas or more beautiful ideas or something I felt like I had to travel somewhere through the lyrics or through, through the thing to, to get to that. Mm. Um, and I think as I got older and as I got further along with songwriting, I started to slowly peel back some of that stuff and, and put a little bit more of myself in a more direct way. You know, there'd be lines or like, this is about a very specific moment, but not necessarily like the entire song. Whereas here I said, uh, this time I, I thought, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, um, let this be a way for me to engage and process with what's going on in my life and, um, and use, uh, use my life and my music and use the music to help with my life. Do you have, when you're talking to people, do you have almost a pre-interview with them or do you have like a, a knack for discerning which songs have personal meaning? Um, I, I do ask because I feel like they're going to know better than anybody, but yeah. sometimes based on, but sometimes artists are extremely effective in their lyric writing and their music making where you can listen to something and you're like, I feel like I'm getting something really 
really revealing about who they are in this song. And so if I ever get that feeling, then those tend to be the songs that I'm most drawn to for the show. And that's really fascinating that then it inspired you to do the same. Like I, I feel similarly that, and especially thinking about like the structure of song exploder and, you know, things like that. I remember even when I learned music theory, I was afraid for a while that it would take away from like the magic of music if I Mm -hmm. learned. And then I was like, oh no, it's just the vocabulary of how to describe what I know exists. And that's well and good. But I found that I was more guarded in my writing because I wanted to cloak it in kind of like interesting things or mythologizing of things, like all this stuff. And then after a while, it's just like, do I listen to something and think, wow, they've really crafted their story in an artful mythology, or do I want to connect with the story? Yeah. Um, and so that's that's a fascinating kind of like parallel there. And I was thinking about, I don't recall if it was Amanda Palmer talking about Neil Gaiman or Neil Gaiman talking about Amanda Palmer, uh, but they were talking about um, when you put stuff in your art blender, it's like, is is your blender set to a coarse chop? Are you making a salsa where you can see like each of the things that were in there? Or have you made like gazpacho? Like, and so it's like, <laughs> or do you not know? And so like, like he was talking about how his art blender is more of the soup variety or the smoothie where you, you know that there's elements of his life in there, but you don't know exactly what they are. Yeah. Whereas like she was saying that like hers is more of like a coarse chop. You could actually see which are the bits from her life that like went into this composition. And it's an interesting balance trying to find that um, because also there are songs like that I thought were very personal that people have then revealed were like stories or characters that they made up. Like, right. Um, like the Simon and Garfunkel song for Emily, wherever I may find her was like one of my favorite songs as a child. And I always wondered like who she was. And then when I learned that it was about this like romantic ideal, I was like, what? And like, in a way I was excited, but I also felt cheated. But I was also like, <laughs> I was like, you fooled me, but what a good trick. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I guess, how does it feel playing these songs for people? Cause you've been, you've been out on tour, right? Yeah. I just got back uh, this weekend from, from my first tour dates uh, for this new record welcome back <laughs> i was like i don't know if you're in la as well i always just presume i'm like welcome back home and then i was like wait pam not everybody lives in la i am i am in la yay so am i <laughs> oh good did you enjoy the rain this morning it was very beautiful <laughs> <laughs> i mean i was on the east coast for a tour so um i was actually really looking forward to some real california weather and not this drizzle well, fortunately, it appeared from the weather app today to be the day of rain. And then like everything else is fine. It's having grown up here, like LA rain, it seems to work like that, where it's just like, it's either absolutely no rain or like more rain than one could ever imagine. And it's biblical. And then it stops. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, there it went. <laughs> well, I'm sorry that you came back on the rainy day, but how... How was that? And also what is touring like currently? Like I know a few people have been back out on tour, but like there's been, it seems like there's a really interesting variety of experience. And in some ways it's a very visceral experience getting to reconnect with audiences too. Well, you know, I think a lot of people who are going out on tour right now are comparing it to what it was like in 2019 or early 2020. But for me, the last time I went on tour was in 2011. So my frame of reference is very different. I haven't put out music in a decade. Yeah. And, um, and so I really, <laughs> my, my 
the changes that I have to track are um, across so many different quadrants that I, I don't really know that I don't really know how to answer the question um, <laughs> because it was it was it was very overwhelming. Also, the shows that Jenny and I were playing um, were, are different from any other shows that I've ever done. Um, mm -hmm. They were kind of a cross between um, a concert and a live podcast in some ways, and um, w which I've done much more of, you know, in, in the last few years, I've done a lot more podcast events than I've done. Well, I haven't done any concerts. Um, so yeah, it was, it was actually quite nice to try and figure out the balance between this version of playing shows from years ago and this version of how I've existed on a stage more recently. Hmm. And do you find, I guess, when you're performing music versus podcasts, like what for you feels different when you're connecting with an audience? Well, you know, when you're, when you're playing a song, there's a certain set of notes and words that you're supposed to sing in a certain order. And when you're talking, there isn't. Um, so it's a lot easier to figure out <laughs> if you've done it right or if you've done it wrong when, you, when you're playing a song, or at least uh, I, I certainly can as the performer. And I think the audience can too. Whereas, um, when you're doing a live podcast, it's, it's more, um, improvised, it's looser and, and, um, it's a little more dynamic, you know, usually with a song, the audience has to wait until the end to give their reaction. And, um, and, and when you're talking, they might react from word to word or sentence to sentence. So it, it does feel like a different level of connection, a different kind of frequency. That makes sense. And yeah, that's funny what you said about, you know, when you did it right or wrong. I was thinking about that, that as a performer, I put so much pressure on myself sometimes to do everything quote right. But I think that just comes from learning classical piano when I was a kid. Um, whereas I have noticed that I'll go to shows and I'll hear what I, you know, I can perceive like technical flaws, but it doesn't interrupt my enjoyment of the show. Whereas like if I go with friends who like aren't in music or anything like that, all they're focused on is like, are they having a good emotional time? They might notice if like, say like an, an amp falls over or like something like that. They're going to notice something like going catastrophically wrong, but they're not going to notice like anything that like we might notice where we're like, oh, I messed up that phrasing. Like as yeah. long as they're in the emotional moment, they won't pick up on that. Yeah. Um, and so that's interesting that that's your experience, like as a performer of that and like in a way also with sharing songs, like, do you feel like it's more vulnerable to share the songs that you've written or do you feel like it's more vulnerable to be like in that dynamic, like podcasting space on stage? Well, one of the things that was really exciting about this tour is that it felt like a culmination, like an interweaving of all these different kind of what sort of feel like disparate parts of who I am. Um, mm -hmm. um, both the part of me that makes songs, the part of me that makes Song Exploder, and then the part of me that makes um, sort of chattier podcasts like the West Wing Weekly and Home Cooking, um, mm -hmm. where I, I'm kind of, I get to be, I don't know, it's a, a little looser and more fun. Um, and song, you know, Song Exploder is about these kinds of hidden emotional ideas that maybe get buried in a song that, that on first listen you wouldn't hear about, but to talk, but what was so nice was getting to talk about those kinds of stories, but do it in a format that felt closer to a fun chattier podcast. Cause I was on stage with Jenny the whole time, but what we were talking about ultimately was, um, you know, these 
what are these very vulnerable songs for me, these very raw songs about, um, about loss and grief and love for me. So, uh, it was really exciting for me to be able to like have people laugh with me at things that I'm saying, um, tell, while telling a story that ultimately is going to end in a very sad song and then pick them back up with the next story afterwards. I always love that. Like uh, Tori Amos tells stories between her songs. And I remember, like, I'm excited. She's, I think she's going to be in LA in June. Um, but I always really like that about her performance style is that her songs have this like wide ranging emotional intensity. But in between the songs, she brings so much like humor and humanity to what's going on. Because I don't know if I could handle like a whole Tori Amos concert without like Tori stories in between things. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so I like that you're bringing this like variety of emotional landscape. And it sounds like it helped you feel comfortable too, that you ended up being able to unite these parts of yourself that you felt were like potentially disparate parts, like how you'd expressed that like despondency when you're like, wait, I'm not being seen as a musician. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a way for me to get to be all of the different versions of me that I've been over the last 10 years. That's magical because that's that's actually what sparked me starting this podcast was that I wanted to talk to people who do multiple things and how that informs our sense of identity because often I find that people are confused when you present something that's outside their schema of you and they don't really know how to incorporate it. And it's not that yeah. they're hostile to it, but they're more just like, qua. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, I'm delighted that you found a way to put all of those together. That sounds like it feels really good. <laughs> like... <laughs> it did. It really did. Yeah. And we have more shows coming up in May. So um, uh, when we, we tour on the West Coast. So I'm excited that, that we figured that out and that it's not over yet. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was just like, that's, that's super cool. And also, like you said, like hearing people's immediate reactions to things that's what can be so tricky sometimes about at least like this format is that you and I are having this moment but then later other people are going to have moments with this moment and obviously it's the same with recorded music as well and it's like I'm personally like more of a studio rat um so I love just crafting weird you know 70 tracks of whale sounds like whatever strikes my fancy in the moment I love creating that and then I forget sometimes I'm like oh yeah someone else is gonna have an experience with this and live you see that but like I've never for instance I've never done a live podcasting event and now I'm so curious what that's like, hmm. <laughs> like... <laughs> it's it's pretty interesting I mean um Song Exploder live events are very different from West Wing Weekly live events. Um, with the West Wing Weekly, which I think is closer to what most podcasts kind of experience, which is a sense of community yeah. um, around, a, you know, where you can have like running jokes and you can have like a, you can have a mythology, like you said, you know, that, that you've built over a course of things. Whereas Song Exploder is essentially an anthology series. You know, every episode kind of stands alone. Yeah. So, um so it's quite different. People are there. I think they're curious and they're excited. They might be interested in the artist or or, or the podcast, but you don't really know. But with um, but with something like the Western Weekly, it was uh, it was wild to see how much people wanted to engage with with our show, the podcast about a show. It's you know it's it's not even like the podcast was the primary material. The Western yeah. was the primary material, and we were just this. Uh, 
um, this sort of secondary layer of commentary around it. That almost, it, it pinged in my mind. Um, my sister had sent me the podcast. Uh, my dad wrote a porno. Mm -hmm. And like, I thought of, I thought of that in that context of like, yes, of course, the text that they're reading is hysterically funny, just as is, but people then form relationships with the people who are commentating. It's like this like double layer thing that then I'm just like, oh, that's so fascinating. I hadn't thought about it that way, that then the community is actually based around your experience of it, but it's their experiences of you experiencing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's fascinating. Um, because I tend to listen to more of like, like song exploder or things like that, or like, um, like the knowledge project or like my friend Amanda's podcast between the worlds where it's like, and that's more about like, um, like tarot and, and whatnot, but it's like, I tend to listen to things that are more, I guess, like informative or knowledge-based. I like how you said it's like an anthology. Um, and that's fascinating that you do both because then you can feel what it feels like when people react to both of those. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, uh, I'm more comfortable in the song exploder version of things where I'm not in the show and it's highly edited. Um, but, uh, but I understood the, va the value uh, that having that kind of chatty dynamic um, has on its own and I got to have a lot of fun with it. And so in 2020, when the pandemic hit, I started this podcast called uh, Home Cooking with my friend Samin Nasrat. And that that knowledge from the West Wing Weekly really played into the making of that show. I thought, okay, this is the right, this is the right container for for the two of us to to um, give people information. And when you started podcasting originally, like, was that something that you'd had a passion for before? Or was it kind of on a lark that you just like fell into it? Or like, how did that begin as someone who, like you said, you were doing more like touring music stuff and like things like that. I was like, what, I'm like, what's the origin story? <laughs> it was a little bit of a lark. I, I listened to a few podcasts, not a ton. Um, I, you know, I'd listened to a bunch of This American Life and, um, and I'd listened to years and years earlier, I'd listened to the Ricky Gervais podcast when that first came oh, out. Wow. And it was like, that was the first time I'd heard the word podcast, you know, um, in 2006, I think it was. And, uh, um, and then in 2012 or so, I started listening to podcasts as something that like became part of my listening, uh, um, became part of my listening routine, I guess, along mm -hmm. with music. And, um, and it was after that, after getting into them in 2012, that I started thinking about um, ideas that I'd had a, around Song Exploder taking shape in that medium. Got it. I was like, that's so interesting. Like, cause I think of why people start the projects that they do, because I, I have what one of my friends dubbed the brain zoomies where, where sometimes <laughs> I will start something because it's caught my fancy and then I'll be midway through and I'm like, well, what am I doing? <laughs> but that's interesting to know that it was kind of like gestating for a while. Um, when you were doing that, like, were you doing other occupations or did that become like your primary occupation? When I started Song Exploder, um, it was 2013 and it was right, right around the time when I was finishing the score for a, for a film. Mm -hmm. 
and I I remember going to South by Southwest in 2013 for that for that film's premiere, and um, and I think I had just finished the the uh, pilot episode of I think I had just finished the pilot episode of Song Exploder at that time, where I was getting close to it. And, um, and then also at that South by Southwest, I met Lakeith Stanfield, um, cause he was there with a film called short, short term 12. And, um, so that year, 2013 was sort of a year for me where I decided I was going to try and do projects outside of the 1am radio, which was the name of my band, uh, or my, my project basically from when I was in college. And I had been trying so hard to just singularly focus on that. Um, because I felt like if I took my eye off the ball, I'd potentially lose momentum or mm. who knows what. So 2013, I was, I was the first time that I thought, well, what else is out there? And, um, and so I, I, uh, kind of gave myself permission to, to, pull on a couple of these threads. And one of them was Song Exploder. Then one of them was a band that I started with Lakeith called Moors. And mm -hmm. then, um, and then the other was a TV project that I started with my, with my friend, Josh Molina with, and the TV project. Um, uh, so, so all around the same time in 2013, I was working on songs with Lakeith working on, you know, pitching this TV show with Josh and making, trying to find a home for Song Exploder after I made the the pilot. It was a lot of, it was a lot of potential uh, and not a lot of actual, you know, kinetic, practical work being done. It felt, it was like a long year of incubation. Gotcha. Um, but then when, but then at the end of 2013, Lakeith and I put out our first song. At the beginning of 2014, Song Exploder came out in January. And then the, same month josh and i sold and shot the pilot for our tv show so so all of these things were kind of happening at once and uh and then that first year you know like i was touring with lakeith and and josh and i were still trying to figure out what was going to happen with the with the network and our tv show and and i was making song exploder uh, around it all which is part of the reason why the episodes you know i, I thought let me put out two episodes a month and keep it to that so that I have enough room for these other things that I'm doing too. That's very pragmatic. <laughs> that's, that's also interesting that you speak of that time in which things are in incubation. Cause sometimes I find that chatting with people about that, there's the outside perception that nothing is going on, but then the internal perception is so different because you know, the work that you're putting into things, Yeah, but it's sometimes so hard to sit on things when you're, when you're in process. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's very, um, not just daydream out loud. I think for, for me, I like to keep things close to the chest and, um, because I never want it to feel like I'm, I'm just saying something, I'm going to make something and I'm just talking a game, talking big game. And then I'm mm -hmm. never able, able to back it up. Um, I feel like that's something that happens a lot in LA. And so, uh, I, 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 tend to not say anything in those moments of incubation, but that means like for a year, I wasn't really talking about what I was making because I hadn't put it out in the world. It didn't feel real yet. Yeah. That's such a tricky balance to hold because yeah, on, on one hand, I am definitely in the same camp as you where it's like, I don't want to, 
I don't want to over promise something in a way or set up an expectation of something I'm doing before it's done, because that yeah. might not match up to what I'm making. Like it might be better. It might be worse, but it's just like not an accurate expectation. Yeah. Um, but also if I, if I'm too private about it, I sometimes find that I'm like, oh, is this thing actually real? Like, is this actually happening? And then sometimes when I actually put the thing out, I have a hard time connecting with the reality of other people even knowing about it because for so long, it's been like an inside thing. Yeah. And it's almost jarring when it's like on the outside, you're like, oh, wait, yeah, actually, like I can tell people about that now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a strange experience. And also even like thinking about identity wise, like when we talk about, you know, talk about who we are, I used to start the podcast by asking people like, what do you do and what's a better question to ask? Hmm. Um, and I think I might return to that question now that our identities are slightly firmer than wobbly jello. They're not quite. <laughs> um, everyone went through a period of just like, oh no, everything has collapsed. Who am I? What's going on? And now it's just like, oh, we're rebuilding. I also am not quite sure who I am yet, but we're getting more of a picture. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. um, I guess like, in your mind, like, what would you prefer? Like, in, in, you know, like in dinner party conversation, essentially, like whenever we eat dinner with other humans again. Um, but like, instead of someone saying, what do you do? It's like, I guess what would be more compelling for someone to ask you? Or what would you want to ask someone else? Hmm. Maybe something like, when you look at what, what you do now, what's something from your early childhood that you can point to that feels like the first evidence that would, that you would end up doing what you do now? Oh, I love that. What's the first bit of evidence from your childhood that's indicative of something that you're doing now? Yeah. Wow. That's such a cool question. I guess like what sparked that in your mind? Like, were you thinking of something from like your childhood that informed you or like, would, would child you be really surprised by what's happening now? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think for me, I was thinking about the way that I used to interact with Legos. Mm. Um, my relationship with Legos, I think in some ways feels very connected to the way that I think about making podcasts and maybe even more specifically the way I make song exploder. Um, which is that, uh, I really liked the format essentially, you know, I really liked the tools, um, but I also immediately threw out the manual. Um, that was the <laughs> first thing that I would do is I would be like, I don't want, you know, I'd get the kit and I'm like, I don't want to build this. I'm going to build my own thing. Yes. Um, and you know, in the way I would try and be like minimal, be a minimalist with, the color palette and, uh, and also try and I would make multiples of things that would all try and hopefully fit together. I mean, essentially I was making like the version of Lego version of an anthology series, you know, where I'd say like, well, here's the car, here's the, <gasps> here's the little motorcycle, but they all fit together in this giant truck and they all look the same. And they're all, you know, like it felt like I was trying to build something unified, um, where each piece had its own unique qualities too. Anyway, mm -hmm. I, I look at some of that and I think I'm still thinking about some of those ideas. Like a lot of those, a lot of my goals 
as an eight-year-old with those Legos are the creative goals that I have now with just a different set of tools. Yeah. It's like you're taking these potentially disparate things that actually have instructions on how to make them more disparate. And you're like, no, 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 no. (laughs) You're like, like, thank you for this box of Legos. Let's figure out how to unify them and make a different picture here. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That reminds me of something an art teacher said about me as a child, um, that all my report cards are always like, Pam always knows the answer when called on, but appears to be staring off in space. And I'm like, accurate. <laughs> um, but this art teacher said that I appeared to have many different pictures in my mind because when I drew things, like most kids will draw kind of variations on a theme. Yeah. And there were some of my favorite things that I like to draw that I would kind of practice different things over and over again. But I liked exploring so many different forms of things that I guess that was what stood out was that it was like there wasn't like a... Like, you know, most kids are like, ah, yes, I'm really interested in making cats or like things like that they'll make, or they'll use like a similar color palette over and over again. And I was just like, oh no, we go on a journey. (laughs) I was like, okay, that is remarkably consistent to now (laughs) where it's like, I certainly have my favorites, but if someone's like, would you like to try this new thing? I'm like, I will try just about anything at least twice, just to make sure that the first one wasn't like a fluke. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I love that. I love that you had like your own internal Lego logic that you're like, no, we're going to preempt this. We're going (laughs) to, that is delightful. I'm curious, like what our, what our kid versions would, would make of us like, because I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, when people would say things like, oh, well, what are you going to be when you grow up and things like that? I'd be like, I don't know. I'm just going to like be a person. <laughs> like, like, are you not a person when you grow up? That's weird. <laughs> like, I don't know. Did you have aspirations when you were a kid that like you were like, I'm going to be this, you know, insert title here. Like, was yeah. there something in your mind? I remember having to write something like this for school, you know, what, what are you, what will you be doing at this point? You know, however many years into the future. Yeah. And, um, and I remember what I put, um, that I was going to be a cartoonist. Um, and also I was going to do the voices for cartoon characters. That's, I mean, it's interesting. Cause I was like, you kind of do do analogous things. You do create the voice of different characters, but they're different aspects of yourself in songs and in podcasts. <laughs> I do. And I do talk into a microphone for a living. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you got, you got pretty close. Like <laughs> I was just like, I remember on a, I forgot it was career day at school, which is also indicative of who I am as a human being. Um, but uh, once I realized I'd forgotten, I messaged one of my friends and she was just like, oh, well, I'm going to a psychic today. And I was like, I didn't know you wanted to be a psychic. She's like, I don't. I just thought that would be fun. And I was like, this is why we're friends. I forgot it was career day. You're going to a psychic. <laughs> it's all scans. Um, <laughs> but I was like, but what should I do on career day? She's like, I don't know. What do you want your career to be? And I was like, I don't know. I just like making songs and helping people. And she was like, well, that should just like be your career or something. And I was like, okay. There you go. <laughs> and that was an oddly prescient thought that 17 year old no concept of time me had. Yeah. 
there you go. That's my that's my dinner party replacement question. I love that. That's such an interesting idea because also it it causes people to introspect on what what consistent there what consistencies they have, but also that it's okay to not always want the exact same thing from when you were a kid. Like if you were suddenly really sad that you were like, oh, I never drew those cartoons. Like that it's okay that sometimes your dream of something changes over time or that it becomes incorporated into another like aspiration or dream. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I do, I do, <laughs> I do mourn the the fact that I, I never got to be a cartoonist. I would love to, but I'm just, uh, I never got, I never got good enough as a, as a visual artist. Yeah. And, and recognizing as weird as this sounds, it, it takes, it takes talent to recognize uh, maybe either a lack of talent or skill in an area. Cause I think everybody, if you really work at something, you can reach a certain level of accomplishment in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also good to know when to be like, you know what? I tried this thing. And even though I really like this thing, there's other things that actually I have an aptitude and desire to do and that that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Also the, you know, the cartoon that I was most influenced by at the time when I wrote this thing was Garfield and my love of Garfield kind of dwindled over the years too. I feel similarly. That's actually really funny. I definitely had like Garfield stuffed animals and like the little Garfield books and everything. I remember those from the Scholastic Book Fair. You could get them in a nice box. We love that for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I remember drawing Garfield now that I think about it. <laughs> it was the thing to do. It was. It was. That's actually really funny that I'm like, ah, both little kid us were like, hmm, Garfield. That's the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was the big hit. He was the number one lead off in the Sunday comics. Yes. Yes. And like, I don't know what it was about the distinctive style of that, but like, it's still to me is more visually compelling than some of the other styles that had more kind of like, I don't know how to describe it other than like rougher line work on them. Mm-hmm. I didn't find them as compelling to look at. Like I found like Garfield and the peanuts. Like I liked, I liked the shapes in both of those. Um, yeah. I was like, yes, this, this is legible to me. that's so funny i guess like i'm like oh would you ever work with like an animator now like would you ever like collaborate on a cartoon with someone actually the the music video for the first song of mine that came out um between there and here is an animated music video there you go yeah which i which i co-directed childhood you very pleased (laughs) (laughs) yeah he is. <laughs> Very validating. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess like, what do you see coming up next in a way now that you have delved back into the music side of you? Like, how do you, how do you want to balance all those different, all those different pieces of you that are out and about in the world? Well, I think my dream would be being able to make room for music in my life and a ratio that's greater than just one day a week. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be seven days a week because I think that had its own difficulties. It's how I got stuck in the first place. Um, but I think if I, if I were able to figure out how to make it something that felt like a regular, a regular practice and, uh, a part of my life, um, while also having the room to do new things and, you know, discover new things to build without manuals, um, that would be, that would be the dream for me. 
I like that a lot. And I relate to that a lot in that I've never done music 24 seven and I admire people who do music 24 seven. Um, but I find that actually I personally at least make better music when I'm not doing it 24 seven. Hmm. I almost have to have like a little bit of like zoom out time away and then I can like, like zoom back in. Yeah. Like I really like, like right now my balance is like two to three days really of music and like podcasting leaks into that. Um, and then podcasting kind of overlaps with like therapy days and also music days. It's kind of the, the little middle ground there. Um, but having at least two to three days of like full music is really good for me. Cause I remember when I was, when it was more like kind of five days, sometimes around like the third or fourth day, I'm like, I'm just going to go for a hike. Like, I don't want to do this. And I feel like if I'm sitting here forcing myself doing this, that actually makes me less creative. It's like, I've made the space for it, but sometimes I need to go and gain inspiration or sometimes I need to do something else. That's going to spark an idea or stuff like that. Whereas like other musicians I've talked to some people, they're like, Oh no, I like to sit there for like 12 hours, like doing this. And it's just like, I don't feel like either is like right or wrong. It seems more of just a, how do you engage with this thing? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's interesting. What happened to you that you said it led you to that place? Like when you were doing more 24 seven music, like what was your experience of that? That then you're like, ah, that was too much. <laughs> like, and now it's like too little, but it's like, what, what made it like too much for you in that way? Well, I think the problem was that I had finally gotten to the place where it was my job. Um, you know, I had a few years of, of being a musician full time where it was my source of income. Mm -hmm. And, um, and with that pressure, uh, which was like the dream come true. Um, it made me feel like I had to think about music in a different way and, and the pressure to have it be successful, you know, successful enough to be able to pay the bills um, was, uh, very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's people that I've talked to about this, um, that we have this illusion of you're only a musician or you're only successful if it's paying your bills. Whereas a lot of people I've talked to who said that they actually find that they're more successful and fulfilled in their music when they take the financial pressure off of the music. And like, sometimes it actually does make them a fair bit of money, but that's almost like incidental to the process itself. Hmm. And it's like, once you take that out of the equation, then you can actually have the relationship with music again. That's what I think I'm hope uh, That's what I'm aiming for right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating to me because I don't know if that informed your sense of identity as a musician, like when we were talking about the sense of like, you know, being an artist in that way, that it's like when that's taken off, then it like, it like dethrones you from that artist role. Yeah. Um, I think because of, well, I mean, my parents were very supportive in their way, but, but I think I had a lot to prove in terms of my choice to be a musician full-time. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was racing towards the idea that like, this was a living, this was a job where I could make a living and I could, you know, support myself without having to do freelance, you know, web design or graphic design on the side. And I could just make this work and have it be something where it wasn't even about me being proud of it. I could point to it and my parents could feel proud of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I was trying desperately to get to that place. And then I did get to that place, but, um, but it ended up being creatively quite tough Yeah. to maintain. Yeah. So. Well, and sometimes even when you get to the place that you thought 
you were aspiring to be, you're like, oh, I don't think that was actually the right place. Right. (laughs) Right. You get there and you're like, I thought I wanted that. I don't actually want that. (laughs) Yeah. And that, that perception of um, success or financial stability due to music can put so much pressure, like you said, on the actual creativity of music. Yeah. Yeah. That then it just kind of squishes it. Cause then instead of being focused on like, ah, what is the song telling me? How am I, you know, how am I feeling on this? Like what new things do I want to try? It's more just like, oh, what are people going to think of this? Is this going to make this amount of money? And it's like, then you're just distracted from like, no one's ever been like, gosh, I love listening to this song. It sounds so lucrative. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, said no one ever. (laughs) So I can totally get that. Where like on one hand, I want to be like, congrats, you figured out how to make a living in music. And I'm also like, congrats, you decided like not to do that. Yeah. (laughs) So that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, I, I hope that in the near future, you have the balance that feels good for you with all, Thank of, you. all of the different aspects there. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's tricky. <laughs> yeah. It feels closer now than it has in a long time. I was like, tiny plotting hands. I'm like, hmm, good. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was like, hmm, the evil plots of your success and happiness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for, for coming by a virtual living room and, and hanging out and having a conversation. And like... Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. (laughs) 